Meeting everybody. Uh, if you would open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47, let's uh, read the first couple of these verses together. And afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. And then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the outer gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. And the waters were up to the ankles. And he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were up to the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and brought me through, and the waters were up to the loins. And afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen. Waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Now, we're going to examine this passage of Scripture and a few uh, verses after it and I think at the outset as I was reading this and probably have in the past I think I probably just turned the page and said I have no idea what that means and there's often times that this becomes a closed book to us they're just words we don't see the meaning we don't see Christ or the work of God the character of the God and the images that are given here we don't see those things and I hope tonight, just as we heard this morning, we read a passage and we realize there's a picture of Christ there. There's a picture of the gospel and of salvation in something I didn't see before. And if all we're here to do tonight and even this morning is hear the words of a man that might have a clever or a unique view of these words that are in the scripture, we're greatly misled. And it will do none of us any good. And what I hope tonight is that God will reveal himself through his word. That we will be, you'll be able to see the gospel. You'll be able to see Christ in the scriptures. And now this is a vision. <clears throat> we're told of a house. Now this house is actually the temple. So he's speaking of a vision of the Old Testament temple. And he tells us about water coming out of it. And there's water that comes out a little bit, and then it comes, pools at the bottom, goes out the door, out a gate, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where he has to swim in it. He can't cross it. It's too powerful. It's too big. Now, what is all of this? Is this just some obscure vision that uh, Ezekiel is relaying to us? What is the purpose behind what he's saying here? And I think one of the things that we can take away from it just on the outset is water is the central theme. He talks about water throughout this whole passage. So we know something to do with what he has to say 
is concerning water. Now, as an interesting bit of uh, history, Jerusalem was the only great ancient city that was not founded by a body of water. Why would that be? Every other old city of the old ages, ancient cities, are founded by a body of water or a river or a sea. You have to have water to live. If there's no water, then that, that's how, how many armies of the past were defeated because they cut off the water source or they poisoned the water. You can only stay there so long. Our bodies have to have water for food and to create food. So there's particular significance to water and water being associated with life. And we'll see that in this passage. Now, in verse 47, or chapter 47, verse 1, it we're told that it, it originated at the south side of the house on the south side of the altar. The source here, the water, came out of the altar. Now, you can imagine it at this point. You've, I've, I am a, a very poor plumber, um, although that doesn't uh, keep me from trying to work on things in my home. And one thing that is true with me, when I work on plumbing, it always leaks. And it is, it's not always evident at first. I walk away, it looks pretty good. And then I come back, and I'll see a little bit of a pool of water. And it's just a faint little trickle of a stream that comes out. When you look at it, initially you don't see it. But eventually, that water will pool up if you leave it there long enough. And in the case that I had nine years ago, it leaked all night and dropped the ceiling and flooded my house. So, yeah, and I was the plumber. Um, so, uh, so, but it can start very small. And so we can think of it as a trickling stream that pooled beside the edge of the altar, built up in the house, and eventually worked its way, it said, under the threshold of the door. It came out the door and even out into the courtyard through the gate. And it even went beyond the gate. So in the water, we're told, got deeper and deeper. It was up to his ankles and then up to his knees and then up to his waist. And it was then a great river, a river that could not be passed. He couldn't get over and he could only swim in it. It was so deep. It was deep. You can't walk and swim. So we're told it's powerful. It is moving. Now, we know just from our understanding of science, water is the most destructive force in nature. Water carves the land around it. Water affects everything that it interacts with. It is the most destructive force, but it's also life-giving. You need water to live. If you do not have water, you will die. 60% of your body is made up of water. Water is a critical means for life, but it also can be used in the form of destruction. And we're told about a gate here. The water pulled up from the altar, out the door, and through the gate. What is the significance of the gate? Often this is something I would have just read by. When we consider a gate, the gate represents justice, God's justice and God's law. So when, in, in, if you consider this, this is where men met, met to settle matters of the law. And there's several examples of this throughout the scriptures. Where were those who were deemed by the priest unclean? Where were they told to go? Outside the gate. 
They were put outside the gate. They could not come in the gate. So we know the matter of the law, the priest had to declare this person unclean, but the gate was part of the law. That was the standard by which where the unclean person could not pass. If you came inside the, the gate, you had were in violation of the law. So the gate was the standard by which the law was judged. You could be outside and be unclean, but you could not be inside. During the days of the cities of refuge, you killed someone on accident. Their family is coming after you because by law they can kill you. They can take your life for their relative's life. There were several cities of refuge established. You could flee to one of those to, to appeal for mercy to the high priest. Where were you safe? Only when you got inside the gate. That person's family could kill you anywhere outside of that gate. But if you got inside the gate, the law said you can't touch him. He's safe inside of here until the death of the high priest. So the gate was the standard by which the law was given. So the gate says these things about those who were inside or out. So it protected those who were inside, and it kept out others who were not supposed to be in. The matters of law were settled here. So consider this also. When Boaz went to claim Ruth as his own, he had to go meet where? He met at the gate with the nearer kinsman, because that's where he was. All these things that happened had to be clear with the law to happen, or they could not happen. Absalom. Where did he sway the people? He would keep them from coming to see the king at the gate. He sat there every day at the gate, which they would come to petition the king to ask something, because that was the law. You had to ask him a petition. And he'd say, no, 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 let, let me talk to him for you. I'll, I'll take care of it. He did all of this at the gate. You could not pass the gate without getting past Absalom. The Hebrew bond slave. Whenever their term was up and they were able to go free from their master and from their family, if they wanted to say, no, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my family, I don't want to leave, I don't want to be a part of them, I will be a bond slave forever. Where was that done? That was done at the gate. That was done on the inside of the gate at the threshold of that door, and they would bore his ear through with an awl. The gate represents justice. The gate represents the law. So here we see the water and the gate are interacting. The gate is the law. The water is the gospel. So whenever we look at this passage, anytime water is mentioned, it's going to be in relation to a picture of the gospel, God's word. So you consider this, the, the water flowed through the gate. And this is one thing that we know and it must be repeated. The message of the gospel, salvation from sin, your ability to live and be outside of being a sinner before God who justly would punish you for those sins can only be so with relation to the law. The law has to be satisfied. This can't just be a sleight of hand and say, okay, well, you know, you're forgiven. There has to be means by which the God accomplishes that, and it has to be just before the law. So the gate represents the law, and the water is the gospel. The goodness of how God can be just 
How can he be just and justify me? How can he do that? It's Both have to be true. You can't just say he's a loving God but have no means by satisfying his justice. They both have to be true. And to justify you, to make you to be what you're not without sin. Now, I know in and of my experience, I don't know what that feels like because I'm trapped in a sinful body. Every day I feel sin. Every day I feel encumbered with it. I have no way of getting around it. But yet I'm told if I'm in Christ, I'm justified. I don't have sin. How can that be? He had to satisfy the law for me to have any confidence in it. My sins are forgiven and they're forgotten. They're taken away. The good news comes, and that's what the gospel means. It's translated that in the King James. And I, in some, when you look up that word, it always translates to good news. I like that word in some ways better. I think it's fitting for what the word actually means. To those who find it, to those who see it, to those who understand it, to those who love it. It's good news. It's not just words. It's just not just a creedal doctrine. It's good news. Good news comes to those things that are hard, too great for me to deal with. How do I deal with the expanse and the weight of my sin? I don't know. I can't even begin to deal with it. It really upsets me and confounds me when I really start to consider how deep does it go and how long has it been going on. And what's even worse is when God gives you the eyes to see your sin and you realize it's been that way all along and I just didn't have any idea and this is the first time I'm seeing it and God has seen me this way all along. It makes you aware and ashamed. There's so many things that, it, that we could say here. Each one of us has something that God has put us through individually, whether it be a trial, a weight, or, you know, we, we all have something in our life that we're burdened with. And, you know, the Lord sends these things in our life for different reasons. But for the child of God, we know that all those things are working together for good. God has a purpose for those, and this, that purpose is for us to come to an understanding of his son, an appreciation of his son, and to ask for forgiveness for our sins. All those things are brought through to give us a greater view of him. Now, wouldn't you love and appreciate some, some good news? Because if you, you only love and appreciate if you're someone who needs to be healed because you're sick. You're someone who has a burden that needs to be lifted because it's too heavy. I don't know how I'm going to carry it on every day. I need to hear the good news of the gospel. Now, the water, there's, as an illustration, there's water beside me here in this glass. Everyone can see it. Now, anyone, and I mean anyone, who wants it, come take it. It's free. No one will stop you. No one will tell you that you can't have it. If you want it, come and get it. Now, what can I conclude if no one gets up to come to take the water? You're not thirsty. And it may be you're not thirsty because you just don't know how good water tastes. It might be that you drank water before you came in here and you're full. 
And it might be that you have a bottle of water sitting beside you in your seat and you don't need one. And it might just be that you're like me and I really just don't like drinking water. I'd about drink anything else. So I, I, something else is more flavorful to me than water. But what we can conclude is that you're not thirsty enough to where you actually need it. We certainly wouldn't call my open invitation for anyone to come and take this water as good news, would we? No. I've been in the desert before, uh, out in Arizona. It was very hot, it was dry, but it wasn't overly uncomfortable, even though it's hotter out there at first. You see, you spend some time out there and you're, you start to get a little thirsty, and, but you don't realize how thirsty. Your lips get dry. Your tongue kind of sticks to the roof of your mouth. Your skin gets dry. You start to get a headache. It comes on slowly, and then you realize, I'm really thirsty. There's nothing that I need more right now than a bottle of water. And as you realize you're out there a couple days just being in that climate, you're drinking water all day long because that's all the only thing that satisfies your need. It makes you uncomfortable. You need something to take care of that thirst. Now, how about a glass of water now? If you're that person that's in the desert and dry and out there with a headache and you're uncomfortable, that offer for a glass of water sounds very different right now. It's something you're interested in. There's nothing that you want more. It's the only thing that will satisfy. Now, this mundane glass of water in here is nothing more than that. It's a mundane glass of water that I would look at and look away and not think anything of it. But in the desert, it's life-giving. It satisfies your need. It's the only thing that you're focused on. It's good news if somebody came to you with a glass of water. Now, if God ever shows you who he is and what it takes for you to actually be welcome in his presence, you'll see why this word is good news. Now, have people ever say, said to you, why do you all go to church so much? You go, you went this morning, why are you going tonight? Why are you going on Wednesday? Why do you go so much? I don't understand. They've never seen the gospel as good news. It's something that they go through the process of for a lot of reasons, but it doesn't mean that it's good news to them. They don't see why you love it. They don't see why it is necessary for your day-to-day -day life that I must have a relationship with Christ. I want to see him exalted. I know what's in me, and I know what I bear every day, and I need to be told it's all right, that there's a means by which I can approach unto God. I need the good news. I know that God Almighty looks down on me every second of every day. He sees my actions. He sees my thoughts. He knows the intentions of my heart. And I'm ashamed. And I'm fearful because I know who he is. I know that he is utterly intolerant of someone like me. He will not allow someone like me to be in his presence, let alone to have my prayers even heard. That's how much he hates me for who I am. And I need to be told that there's good news for somebody like me. I need to be told that it's okay to come 
I need to be told that it's okay to pray that he hears my prayers for his son's sake. I need to be told that. This is the good news of the gospel. God made a way. God made a way for it to be okay for you. The water is the good news of the gospel. Well, how can we say this? Well, where did it originate from? If you look back in the first verse, they tell us it originated in the altar. It came out of the south side of the altar. And what's the significance of this? Well, the altar is where the sacrifice was offered. The sacrifice is the only means by which sins can be forgiven. There is no other way. There must be a sacrifice. That's what we heard this morning when Aaron told us this. When Adam and Eve sinned, there had to be bloodshed. That's the only way that there was a means for Adam and Eve to even have a covering. They had to be covered. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be death because of sin. Cain brought the fruit of the ground, what he did, what he thought would work. Well, he said, well, there's got to be a different way. Surely he'll be pleased with this. My intentions were good. And he was rejected. Salvation by works. And so will you and I be if we bring anything other than the blood of the Lamb if we approach by any means other than the blood of Christ. Abel brought the lamb, innocent, pure, spotless. It had no idea what was going on, and then he slit his throat. It's bloody, it's messy, it's ugly. But this is the means by which the living God will forgive sins. The law was satisfied by the death of another. This is substitution. This is the message of the gospel. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was born to die. And, that, and when we consider that, each, many of us have children. Our children are born to live. We, we, we have our children and hey, we have hopes and dreams and education and experiences and want them to be loved. And we, we do all these things to nurture them to live. This man was born to die. The culmination of my children's lives is these highlights that we talked about here. The highlight of his life was death. Because in death, he had an accomplishment. It's his death and what it accomplished for his people. Anyone that he died for, they have no sin before God. Because of his sacrifice, the scripture tells us that many were brought into glory. It didn't say no one. It didn't say if you did this that you're brought into glory. It's a finished, completed work that he did. Many were brought into glory. And the entirety of the gospel originates from the altar. Jesus Christ died for sin, sinful men and women like you and I. You are called by God to believe the good news. The altar is the source and the sacrifice is the means by which sin can be removed and you can be saved. And if the message is not how that Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, then it's a false message and we're to flee from it. The gospel is the only remedy for sin and the reason that we can even approach unto God now, to the guilty, 
this is good news. This means that I can approach and that I won't be condemned. It's how can I know? And this is this is the key. I think that we all ask have to ask in our own mind. How can I know if this is for me? You've told me that Christ died for His people. I have confidence in who Christ is. I don't have any confidence in me. How can I know that this is for me? That I'm one of those people. How can I know truly? Because I don't want to be laying claim to somebody else's promises. Because I open somebody else's mail. You can open somebody else's mail and see something addressed to them. And there's something in there that's promised to them. But if you open it, it doesn't mean it's for you. How can I know if this is for me? Well, you can know by the same means as when I ask you, does anybody want this glass of water? Is this good news to you? Do you thirst for it? Do you need it? The entirety of the gospel originates here. It is the only means by which anyone can be saved. It's free to anyone who will come. And I have to ask my session this question, will I come? Anyone who will can take this glass of water. It's the same with the gospel. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever is anyone, there is no one excluded. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Well, in verse 5, what do we know about this great river? There's a few things mentioned here. First, he says he couldn't pass over it because it was vast and it was mighty and it was great. And God speaks, the gospel speaks of a covering for sin. That's the picture that this river is uh, displaying here. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There's nothing mightier than this river, and the gospel is the same. You can't be too far gone. You can't be too lost. You can't be too unbelieving. You can't be too sinful. You can't know too little. The gospel has the power to save despite you despite yourselves. And I'm thankful for that because I've got a lot of reasons in me as to why I can find reasons why God can't save me. But he tells us it's not that way. He tells us it's not that way at all. You can't be too sinful to be saved by the blood of Christ. There's nothing that this covering does not cover. So anything you bring, there's a covering, but only under the blood. And secondly, he tells us that the waters were risen this, this great river, this gospel stream started out as a trickle, though, didn't it? A trickle just coming down from the altar. It came out the gate and out the door. This is our experience of the gospel in this world. God operates on the heart. He gives you a new one. And one day you hear something. You know, I can recall in my own experience being 18 before I went off to college, somewhere before I went off to college. I had all these facts in my head. I knew all this stuff forward and backward. I'd been taught as a kid. But one day I remember sitting there and I heard um, Henry Mahan was my pastor. And I remember he, he gave a Sunday school lesson. I was I left there thinking like, actually like what he said. I entered into the message in a different way where it wasn't just facts that I knew. I actually found some hope in it. 
I found some comfort for me because I knew had, had some idea what was inside of me. And it gave me some hope. And he planted a seed in me. I had to go my own way. And in time, he germinated that seed. And he grew fruit out of it. But the point is, is that the gospel starts out at a trickle. I didn't know much other than that one little moment. I had some hope. And that was it. But in terms of our experience, grace grows. How much more does it mean to you today, your love for Christ, than when you first heard him? You loved him when you first heard him, but not like you do today. I know more of him. I know more. I appreciate more of him. How many things has he brought me through in my life I never thought I'd get through? And here I am. All these things that the Lord's done for me, ordered things that I never saw. Grace grows. It's living. It's alive. It's not static. The rising symbolizes our ability to know, to love, to discern, to grow in grace. We love much more today than we ever have. And hopefully we'll feel even more tomorrow and the day after and 10 years from then. Grace grows. And thirdly, we're told about this river. It was deep enough to get in and swim. It was so deep. Now, you consider this. Who can comprehend the depth of the message of the gospel? It's deep. There's much here. How many times did I say, or when I opened this, I, I said, you know, you've read this, and then you just flip the page. And then you read another time, and you see something you never thought you'd see. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. It's Christ in the scriptures. He revealed something to you about here. It's deep. Something I didn't see before. Christ died for us while we were ungodly, sinners, enemies. How can that be? How could he look at me knowing he hates sin and then find love for me and die for me? How can those things be? How I reconcile this in terms of my experience here, I believe it. I don't have to fully understand and comprehend it. We can't. He's outside of time. We're in it. How can those things be? I don't know. It's deep. How did the just die for the unjust? And how did that justify the law? That's deep. How do we understand that? There's so many why questions that we have. Why did this happen? Why did this happen in my life? I don't know. Why? And we, we spend all this time trying to figure it out. One day we'll know. How can there be one God with three distinct persons in the same person? I don't know. So many why questions. The gospel is deep. The purposes and decrees of God in this world, so many things, it's deep. That's what this river symbolizes. Well, let's, let's read on now, pick up towards the end here. Verse 6, he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? And then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I'd returned, behold, at the bank of the river, there were very many trees on one side and on the other. Now, the trees are immovable. The trees are solid. And what we're told here is that they grew near the river. Now, where did we, why do they grow near the river? They grow near the river because that's where life is given. The trees are the promises and precepts of the gospel. God's decrees, God's covenant, God, the things that we read in and we know that are sure, that'll never change. If Christ died for my sins, there's no way that I can be punished for them. 
if I, if I am, if I am called and regenerated and given a new nature, that'll never go away. It can't be taken from, from me. There's not anything that I can do to not be saved. We know these are the trees. These are the promises and the precepts of the gospel that will never change. They are the outgrowth um, because of the water. But I don't see it. We see the tree there. I don't see the river, but I, I see the tree beside the river. It's in the ground next to the river. The water is. That's where it's receiving its life. So even though I don't see it, it's still receiving its life from the river. I can't see it, but what I can see is the results. And I can see the evidence of the water that it is there by what lives on its banks. This, my friends, is faith. Faith is what we trust in, but we can't see. What we have hope in, but we can't fully see it. I know that if the tree's growing beside the river, it's pulling water up out of the ground. That river is underneath the ground, underneath there. That's the only way the tree could live. The trees don't move, and neither does faith. I can't see my sin taken away, but I believe that it is because of the promises of the word. I can't see Christ's righteousness being made mine, but I have faith that it is because the word said so. The trees don't move and neither does our faith. Our faith is grounded in Christ. The trees are faith in immovable promises. Pick up in verse 8 here. And then he said unto me, These waters issued out toward the east country, down into the desert, and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves, wherever the river shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come there, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live wherever the river comes. What we see here, the river is life-giving to all who find it. If you find this river, if you find the gospel, if you find the message of the gospel and the one that it points to, you will live. That's a promise. The fish here spoken of, these are God's people. There's all different kinds. We're all different. And I'm thankful that we are. We all look different. We all act different. But we have one thing in common. We're all fish. We're all fish and we all live in the river. And outside of the river, what do you do? I remember as a kid, you'd catch bluegill. We'd throw them on the side because I didn't want to catch them again. You'd die. We live we move, we have our being in the river. The river is life in Christ. This is what the gospel speaks of. The healing speaks of healing the scars of sin, the things that we carry around with us. It has healing. The gospel heals, but it's also the giving of spiritual life. And in living and moving and breathing in this river, I have life just like these fish. Now look down in verse 10. It shall come to pass that the fishers, so now we're talking about fishers that stand, that stand upon it from Engedi unto Ingalim, they shall be a place to spread forth their nets, and the fish shall be great according to their kinds, and the fish of the great sea exceeding many. The fishers here spoken of, who are they? Fishers are the pastors. The pastors call out the message of the gospel. 
in order to pull the fish out. Isn't that, we, we heard about that this morning. What were the disciples before they became followers of Christ? They were fishers. He said, you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what this passage is speaking to. Look lastly down in verse 12. And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and that, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, and neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to its months, because the waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. So we're told here there are plenty of trees for food. These are God's promises. We're told they don't get old. They don't get consumed. They're not going to go away. They're not here for a little bit and then they're consumed and gone. We're told they're firm. They're here. This is your meat. This is your food. All these things, God's precepts and promises, are outgrowths of the gospel. There's no shortage of supply. Why? Why is there no shortage of supply? It's because these issued were issued from the sanctuary. The sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats, but by the death of Christ, one man forever has put away sins. There's no end to this sacrifice. There is no end. This is where the promises of the gospel come out of, and we're told there's no end to it. It won't be consumed. It won't be used up. It won't be old. It won't, it'll always be new because the sacrifice is always new. The altar uplifts the brokenhearted. It heals the sick. It raises the dead. You're given life. Forgiveness, healing, food, comfort, all these things are found in the gospel, found in this river. The Lord said in closing, you remember the woman at the well, he said to her, give me a drink of water. And he said, if you knew who it was that's asking you, a drink of water, you'd ask him for a drink. He said, because whosoever drinks of this water, you're going to thirst again. It's not going to satisfy. You will have a need that will not be quenched by this well. But he said, if you ask a drink of me, he said, it will be a well of water springing up in you. This same river is a well of water that springs up in you. Once you drink of this river, of the gospel, it's the only thing that satisfies your thirst. It will give you life, and it's the means by which we live and move and have hope. This is all found in the gospel. So this, the, the title of this message was The River of God. And you can see, even in what appears in some ways to be it's an obscure passage, it's, it's a vision, but in this vision, we see the gospels here.